This is the Epilog audio experience. I always thought that I'm not patient enough for this format because it feels so long and you really need to have like a good story inside of your mind that you can, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, talk to yourself for a long time during the race to keep pushing and stay in the moment. And yeah, it turned out that it's, it is something for me. So I was very proud to be called an Ironman for the first time. Hello and welcome to India's number one podcast for cycling and triathlon enthusiasts. My name is Rohan Takar and in this super special episode, we are having the amazing Laura Philip with us straight from Germany. Hi Laura, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Hi Rohan, hi everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, folks, this episode is special for a couple of reasons because she is a pro triathlete. Yes, it's the first pro triathlete on a podcast sharing her experiences of how did she become one and what is she doing right now. Uh, and yes, her motto is to work hard, look hard and kick ass. <laughs> so this episode is nothing short of inspiration, be it a boy or a girl, a lady or a man. Um, I'm super thrilled for this episode, Laura. Thank you so much for taking out your time from your tough training schedule and be with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to share some of my story with you. Um, I've never been to India, so it's also special for me to talk to you. And um, hopefully oh. I can come to India one day and uh, yeah, visit this amazing country. We are looking forward to have you. Coming to today's uh, episode, we are thrilled to know about you and how did you get into the world of triathlon and what did you do to make it so big? You are in the elite list of the top triathletes across the globe. Uh, but before that, I would like to know how has been 2021 for you? So 2021, um, it's still young and I have big hopes for this year. So hopefully um, the world will turn a little bit more to normality this year. Last year was tough for all of us. And yes. uh, yeah, over here in Germany, we are still currently in a lockdown situation. So mm -hmm. um, not much is happening. Um, I'm lucky that I can do my tra training quite well. So mm -hmm. on the training side, everything is going well. Well, but uh, unfortunately, there are no big races on the horizon yet. So also the early European races, they are already canceled or postponed to um, autumn. So at the moment, it feels very similar to the start of last year where everything started and all the races got canceled. And um, yeah. yeah, but I still hope that... Um, this year, um, the government and all the other countries, they um, yeah, gained more experience and hopefully can handle it better. And right. uh, so, yeah, I try to stay positive and um, still have big dreams for this year. So I'm hoping to have more races than last year and, of course, stay healthy and <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, have a good year. That's amazing. Uh, so Laura, just before the year ended, you had an amazing podium finish at the PTO Daytona challenge. How was that? Uh, that was, after such uh, a huge gap racing, yeah. uh, how did you prepare for it? What, what did go into it? 
Actually, that was very special and difficult also because we had no races for the whole year. Yeah. And even though um, the organizers of the PTO championships told us it's very likely that this race will happen, I was still not <laughs> sure that it's really going to happen. So in all my training leading into the race, you know, Usually I use like a race, such a big race as a big motivation boost for my hard training sessions. And it helps me to push, keep on pushing when it gets hard and stuff like this. So it's yeah. a big motivational boost. And I was like kind of divided because one part of my body really believed that this race will happen and the other was very doubtful and i was like okay don't uh, put too much hope into it because maybe you know they will cancel it one week before so yeah it was hard um, on the mental side but um, the training went well leading into the race so i was confident um, and of course also super excited to have such a big meeting of all the pros right um, It was hard because I had no real like warm up race. You know, usually you try to race before such a big race to get into everything and um, to see how your shape is. So there was a lot of uncertainty before that race. But I also tried to use that as fuel, you know, because I just thought there's nothing to lose in a year like this. Um, so this is a great opportunity to go out there, do what I train for and do what I love. And then this Daytona race course was very special. Like I never yeah. raced on a racetrack before. And it seemed like this whole racetrack was just built for triathlon. It's perfect. You know, you have this lake where you can swim in and then you have the speedway. And even though it's, pretty boring after a time to just ride in circles. It was also kind of exciting, you know, just to imagine that usually there are the cars um, driving really fast and you have like this big audience. And I just tried to imagine how it would feel like if the crowd would be there, you know, cheering for us triathletes. So that was cool. Um, yeah. And the um, race went quite well for me. Like I, didn't have any big expectations because I knew like everyone is super motivated and we had such a stacked field with the mix of short course and long course athletes. So yes. it was very unpredictable also for me and my coach. Like we just thought, okay, Laura, just go in there, do what you can do, you know, do your best. And um, then at the end we will see what place that is. And, um, yeah, so that was how I went into the race. Um, and I just tried to focus on myself that worked quite well, even though the race turned out to be super brutal, like after around an hour on the bike, I think nearly everyone got so bad cramps in the legs because we are simply not used to riding the aero position with like full power without any turns or twists or aid right. stations, like any interruptions. Usually, you know, in an Ironman race, you have like the aid stations every 8K or you have like a decent or a sharp turn or something like this, just something that 
where you can get out of the bars and loosen up your muscles. So in Daytona, you know, everyone tried to stay as aero as possible. And um, that really paid its toll. So I had so heavy legs after the bike. Um, so when I started to get off the bike and slip into my shoes, I felt so bad cramps in my legs that I thought, oh my God, I won't be able to run. And then it was one of those experiences, you know, that really showed me that it's always worth like to keep on going and keep on fighting because I just started to run. I thought, okay, now I put myself into such a great position. I was like around top five during that time. So um, I also knew there's a lot of money on the table for this race. And I just thought, okay, keep on pushing. And um, it actually got better from the muscle side with every lap that we had to run. So that also gave me confidence. But the funny thing was that I had no idea um, about my position in the race. So mm. I knew all the spectators from back home, they had like this super nice live stream with all the splits and they knew exactly what was going on but we did see that <laughs> yeah i know but as athletes in the race i had no idea so the third place came as a surprise for me like crossing the finish line i did not know my exact position so that was super cool and um yeah of course uh, made me really happy and proud and it was a very nice ending to this difficult year 2020 that's really amazing to hear your stories, Laura. So I'm curious to know, uh, you being a middle and full distance athlete, how was it to race in this format? That was interesting. I am, I'm in love with the middle distance. I think it's such a great distance. It's not too long. It's not too short, but you still need a certain speed, you know, to be very competitive in a pro field, but it's not um, such a mental game like an Ironman, you know, an Ironman can take forever and you need so much patience and um, so much can go wrong also from the nutrition side, from the pacing side, from the technical side like there are so many aspects so um i i love shorter distances because i think they're more spectacular and it's also for the spectators you know there's a bit more going on so i think that it was a great format like it was not perfect for me because you know the swim was slightly um extended and i came into the sport at a very late like um old age so um i just learned to swim at around 24 so um i'm not like a top level swimmer so that was not to my favor that they extended the swim part and they shortened mm -hmm. the bike and the run but um you know, usually for me, it would have been better to have like a longer bike and longer run. That is my strength. But um, it still was a cool experience. I think it was um, quite a nice length to watch for the spectators. And um, also for us athletes in the race, you know, it was easy to keep the focus. So um, I was just able to stay in the flow in the race and time passed by quickly. And I think that is always a good sign, you know, that's yeah, that um, you're in some sort of a flow state. And in an Ironman, it can be sometimes quite tough to stay in this um, zone for a long time. So, yeah, I enjoyed to have this shorter format. And um, 
maybe we will have something similar again this year um, would be exciting um, and I would love to take part but I um, would suggest to put maybe like a little hill into the bike course or something to mix it up even more that would be more um, yeah challenging maybe and um, not so heavy for the legs <laughs> mm, I agree That would be something very interesting. So, Laura, I was following your updates and you have been skiing for some time now. So how is it going? What, what's going on with that? We had quite a good winter over here. Um, and I also enjoy to do something else than swim, bike, run. So let's call it cross training, like to, um, you know, challenge my body in different ways. And cross country skiing is a super good um, training tool also for triathletes um, I always say it's like swim bike run in one session because you have to use your arms your legs you know it's a full body workout so um, I yeah I went to St. Moritz in Switzerland to do a high altitude camp it's a super lovely spot to train also during summertime I've been there many times now mm. And um, yeah, it seems to be like this, that high altitude training is working very well for me. So that was another bonus um, doing like the cross uh, cross training and um, getting this uh, high altitude boost. So yeah, there was a fun um, mix up to my usual training routine and um, had a, some great training weeks in the snow. That's amazing. So, Laura, this is great. I'd like to come back to a little, you know, not much long, but a few years back when you actually got into the world of triathlon. What were you doing before that? Yeah, I got into triathlon at a pretty old age. Like um, the only sport I really did when I was young was rock climbing. And I started to um, ride my bike to the school when I was around mm. 16. So... Um, from 16 on, I rode 60K every day. So 32 wow. school, 30 back. And I just did this um, actually because um, at some point I, I um, started to think about, you know, um, and the environment and our planet. And uh, I wanted to have like a little bit more of a sustainable life. And um, right. I thought, okay, I'll just stop taking the bus or the train and I'll just try to get there by bike. So this was some kind of my um, entrance into the world of enduring sport. It happened by accident, let's say it like this, um, because, you know, I cycled by the purpose of getting to school, not um, because I wanted to do a workout. But you can imagine as a young girl, um, I was always late in the morning. So I had to start to ride a little bit faster to make it. So at some point, I uh, it turned out that I enjoyed also, you know, to push the bike and um, just to ride a little faster. And I just uh, enjoyed riding my bike. And um, mm -hmm. after... Um, a year or so, I also started to um, ride my bike on the weekend. So I started to, yeah, let's say get in love with um, riding my bike. And it became more than just the vehicle to get to school. Right. And uh, yeah, it took another few years until um, I got in contact with triathlon. 
I just um, followed some friends who did a relay at a local triathlon and I went there to watch them and support them. And I just thought this looks so much fun. Um, I would love to um, try it in the next year. But the problem at that time was that I could not swim. And um, I, I was used to running a little bit, but I had no big passion for it. So I just thought, okay, let's challenge myself. Let's find a pool, try to swim, try to, um, you know, cope the distance on the bike and the run and let's see if I can do it. So in the next year I signed up for an Olympic distance race and, um, yeah, I did it. And from that moment on, um, I fell in love with triathlon. So that was back, I think 2011 and, wow. um, yeah, f since then I made a fast progress, um, Back then I was also working at the physiotherapist. So I was working full time and just okay. did triathlon um, as a hobby. You know, it was so just you had become a, uh, a practitioner of physiotherapy. Exactly. Wow. So um, when I got into triathlon, I would just started to work full time and I just did the swim bike run as to, for fun next to mm -hmm. my job. And um, then it turned out that uh, after a few years, um, I got better and better. And I also met um, my now coach and husband, Philip Seip. And um, he started to, um, yeah, he was the first person who, you know, gave me some sort of a training plan or training advices. He was the first one who started to work with me on uh, also technique. And because back then we, we enjoyed to do, um, you know, just go out and train together. And he always said, Laura, you need to do this more like this, or you need to ride easier or faster. And at some point I just said, okay, then just write something down for me and I will stick to it. And I yeah. think from that moment on, I made a big progress. And yeah, um, so from year to year, um, I climbed up the ladder a little bit. And um, I think it was 2016 that I decided that I want to, um, you know, stop working as a physiotherapist and put everything on the triathlon card and became a full time pro. So you had done Ironman events before that, uh, before 2016. So my first, um, I've done 70.3 races. I think my first one was 2013. I did my first middle distance. And then until 2018, I only did 70.3 racing. So I did okay. some Olympic distances, but non-drafting because of the lack of swimming. You know, I, I would not be competitive on, um, you know, the Olympic circus. So I need to look out for these um, non-drafting races. So um, I raced mostly non-drafting Olympic distances and 70.3 races. And I won 14 70.3 races so far. So it seems to be a good distance for me. But yeah, I also, um, because I got into the sport so late, um, I decided that I really want to take some time until I step up to Ironman racing because Ironman racing is really something very different. And if your body is not used to all the running mileage, for example, you can uh, get injured quite easily. So we mm. decided, you know, just to build up speed before we build up distance. So 
that was my my approach to it. And 2018, I did my first Ironman. That was Ironman Barcelona. And yeah, I was super nervous and excited before this first Ironman. But I was very lucky that it went very, very well. So I did the fastest ever debut by a woman. And I did this some kind of by accident because during the whole race, I had no idea about my overall time because I raced without a watch. Oh, and wow. <laughs> it was just on the final case that I heard, um, you know, the, that someone shooted to me, Laura, go faster. You can make this and this time. And I was like, oh, he must be wrong. I, I can't imagine that I'm that fast. <laughs> So yeah, that was a super cool race and it showed that I do have some potential on the Ironman dis array, uh, distance. Mm -hmm. um, I always thought that I'm not patient enough for this format because it feels so long and you really need to have like a good story inside of your mind that you can, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, talk to yourself for a long time during the race to keep pushing and stay in the moment and yeah it turned out that it's it is something for me so i was very proud to be called an iron man for the first time and then it was 2019 that i raced my first ironman hawaii so in barcelona oh. i qualified for hawaii and that was also a very very special experience to be on the big island for the first time unfortunately i had had to struggle with an injury for a long time in 2019. So I was not in my best shape, mm. but um, yeah, it was still great just to gain some experience on this special island and to experience the race and the climate and all the, you know, special things. Um, so yeah. But still you finished fourth in that, right? I did. Yeah. That was also another surprise. And I think it shows that, one of my strengths actually is uh, on the mental side. So mm. I'm someone who never gives, gives up and yeah. I always believe in myself. Like I believe in my body. I know that if I treat my body well, you know, it will help me to have a great performance. And I always strive for, for that finish line. So I always feel like if I enter a race, I want to get to that finish line no matter what. And I think this has a big power of, um, you know, keeps you going in the race, even though you might feel bad. And I had many moments where I feel bad. Um, but I always told myself, as long as I'm in such a good spot in a world championship race, there's no way you can give up. So, yeah, it's amazing how strong your mind can be over your body, you know, to keep him, keep going, keep going. And um, yeah, but I also, I was in big pain during that race um, because I had a broken bone in my lower leg. Oh, uh, it was that was still, during the race? No, I had the injury before. Right, So that you it was mentioned. like a fracture, mm. and but it was not 100% closed and it was still hurting a lot. But I talked to the doctors before and they told me, you can do the race if you can deal with the pain, you won't make it any worse. So it's just if you can deal with the pain. And I decided I will try it. I I did not know if I will finish the marathon because leading into the Ironman Hawaii, 
from May to October, Ironman mm-hmm. Hawaii is in October. I only ran around 250 kilometer in total. So that is like nothing. <laughs> mm. So I had no real build up and also no long runs, you know, nothing that usually gives you the confidence that Correct. you will finish Correct. strong. So that was hard to deal on the mental part because I did not know if I will be able to finish. Mm. Mm. So um, after the bike, um, yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty in my mind. I was afraid that I will blow up after 10K. Um, so that was also, you know, another lesson um, that left me really surprised about how much you can achieve, even though the signs uh, before the race are very bad. And so in this, uh, sorry to interject, yeah. I, I want to know one thing from you in this whole situation. What is it that keeps you going? So I think in that moment, it's the desire to see the finish line. Mm-hmm. And to just like, you know, keep on going. I always feel like maybe it's a bad picture for it, but it feels a little bit like going to war, you know, and you really like for me, it's something super special to be in a race. And, um, you know, I train so many hours and spend so many you know, days working towards goals and those races are my goals and to have a good performance at those races. So it feels super special to stand on a start line, especially in Hawaii. I don't know if you've been there before, but I'm I have sure only seen in the videos yeah. and it's mesmerizing that, that yeah. environment, that aura. I only watched it before um, too, you know, over the last years and it. Even though I think in t- on TV, it f- seems you feel that there's something special. And when you are in the water and the helicopter is around you, uh, uh, above you, and you know, you're waiting for the gunshot, I, you have so many goosebumps and you feel like so, um, yeah, blessed to be there and um, to be able to compete. And I, um, you know, also missing this race last year. I think showed every one of us how much we miss it to have such a big stage, you know, as a triathlete, triathlon is not a big sport, right? So Mm. something like Kona or even maybe um, the race in Daytona last year, it was a special stage, you know, Mm. for us pro athletes. And um, it is very special if we get so much attention, we don't have that every day. Right. or in every race. So that adds something extra, um, some, definitely some extra motivation to a race because, for example, in Daytona or in Hawaii, you know, like all your friends and family, they're watching from back home. And, um, you know, this gives you some, some strength and the desire to have a great performance. So all of this is in my mind and I just want to finish strong, look strong and just show a great performance. So awesome. Uh, in this, I also want to know one more thing. Uh, many athletes, like everyone, uh, at some point of time, they try to break their limits and go to the next level. But there may be a twist to that as well, that in, in the process of breaking limits, there may be some casualty or something that should not happen. So when to know that you should go ahead or not go ahead? 
Yeah, I think that is a very good question because it's so hard. If you want to break limits, you can also break yourself. You know, yes. it's a fine line um, between success and pushing boundaries or getting injured or, you know, failing at um, breaking limits. Yes. So um, I think one part of um, yeah, maybe getting closer to your limits is um, to um, develop a good feeling for your body. You need to listen to the signs of your body. And this maybe sounds controversial because on one side, you need to push yourself during a training session, for example, to get closer to your actual limit. And that feels sometimes horrible. And you feel like, oh, no, I can't do this or this is too hard. Or you feel like you, you're kind of dying during the session, but you know you need to do it in order to get closer to your limits. Right. But then on the other side, it's hard sometimes, you know, sometimes your body is telling you some real signs of fatigue or pain that you really need to pay attention to. Otherwise, you know, you might get an injury. So I think this is one of the hardest parts in sport to find the right balance. But I think it's very important that you don't burn yourself during training. I see so many athletes that, you know, we call them um, training world champions. So they are amazing during their training sessions and they train, you know, stuff mm. that they train more than I do. And if I see them, I'm like, whoa, if I meet them in the race, I will have no chance. But then when I meet many athletes at a race, then it turns out I end up faster than they. Mm. So I always feel like you need to hold a little bit back, you know, and this is the energy I use for racing. And if you burn yourself during your training sessions every day, then you won't have, you know, this little extra gear for mm -hmm. race day. So I feel like if I'm in a race and I feel very well and I feel like this is my day, then this is the day to really go for it. You know, sometimes you also need to go for it, even though if it feels if you feel like maybe like some kind of fear because you don't know if it will work out or if you blow up, sometimes you need to take the risk. And um, I think this is also, you know, the exciting and fun part in uh, finding out if taking a risk works out. So but I would only recommend this if you feel you have a good day, you know, yeah. If you feel like um, you struggle, then I would definitely not recommend anyone to do something silly. Then I would recommend to stick more to your race plan or more to your comfort zone and just to focus on finishing strong. But um, yeah, I'm sure we all have those magical days where we feel like we can do something great. But this is not what happens every day. So most of the days you won't feel this magic. You just need to do the hard work. Um, but yeah, I'm still hoping to have this perfect day where I can really, you know, break some big limits. And um, yeah, I think in our sport, we still, there's still a lot to come. So, and it's exciting to be part of this movement right now. Definitely. So again, two questions from my side to you. One is, how is it to go data blind? Do you practice that? Because in a world so with so much of tech, we I, I feel we are relying too much on the technical aspects. Do you think some, going data blind is uh, 
helpful would you recommend to do it or do you do it occasionally like you did it for the first race yeah so um during a race i have a power meter on my bike mm-hmm. um and i like to pace myself on the bike with the power meter um i think i feel like this is uh, beneficial like because very often you feel so strong when you start the race so you're very likely to overpace and then it can destroy maybe your run Great. so i feel like it's beneficial for the bike but also um, during my training sessions you know i also tr- sometimes try not to look at the power meter too much mm-hmm. and just you know listen to my body and i also have sessions for example where i get told to write certain numbers and i just feel don't feel well on that day so it's super tough to get to those numbers And you can, you know, I can get really mad about this if I (laughs) don't hit the numbers right. And I'm very ambitious to always, uh, you know, get the best out of my session. So those are days where I sometimes feel like it would be better to turn the device off and just go by feel. So, but I always recommend, you know, use the device to develop your feel because it's nice to work with it and you can get a better feel for what for example what what you write on and um, i also had it during a race for example even in hawaii 2019 um, my power meter went crazy so it didn't show the real data and um, so first you know i uh, got nervous and i thought oh my god now i can't race but this is just stupid you know of course i can race i know i can rely on my feeling because i trained so many hours with a power meter i know how this and that power feels in my legs so i just started to calm down and just you know push the pedals so i recommend both you know like be prepared for the moment that your device might not work so it's sometimes nice to um, just switch it off and on the run for example I feel like from all three disciplines, I have the best feeling for my body in during running. So it feels most natural to me and I have the best feeling for pace. So during a race, I never use a watch for pacing myself okay. because I know that it can feel so, so different when you jump off the bike. You know, usually your legs don't feel super nice. Uh, they feel more heavy and um, you need to get into the run and i feel like if i would have a watch on and it shows me the pace all the time and maybe it doesn't show me the pace i want to run you know and then the negative uh, thoughts start to come up and maybe this will ruin your race so i just um leave the watch away for racing but this is because i know i can rely on my feelings so if someone is super super motivated and um, maybe runs out of transition like alistair brownlee (laughs) i would recommend to put the watch on just to slow down a little bit because the Mm. feeling after riding the bike is very different than to normal running but sometimes i for example if i go on a run with my dog i have a dog and uh, the dog is not the fastest runner but i enjoy to go out with him and you know just to move together i always leave the watch back home because i know you know if i see the splits i'm not happy about the splits and then 
this messes up my whole experience with just, you know, enjoying uh, movement and being out there in the nature. So I really recommend to do both, like develop your feeling with a device and then have certain sessions where you just go by feel, leave it back home, because, you know, you will probably agree that by now we all have our certain run loops, bike loops. And by now, if we've ridden them for an or run them for a few times, we know the case, you know, we know how many kilometers the loop is. So we don't need the device to track the kilometers. Um, so if I know my run loop is 10K and I just want to go on an easy run, I will definitely leave my watch off and just enjoy um, the nature and don't focus on the device. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. So it's really interesting how in a, such a short time uh, compared to other triathletes, in such a short time you have uh, come to the top uh, podium stage. So what are a few things that you did right that helped you come to this uh, level? So I think I was very lucky that I met Philip, my now yeah. coach and husband, as I mentioned, because he, um, yeah, he studied sports science and he's, uh, he's a very, very good coach now. And um, I know he spent a lot of time, you know, to understand how my body works. And um, we tried so many things together. And because we are so close together, you know, we always live together and yeah. we, he saw me every day and you know, we were able to adjust my training day by day. So I think that was something super beneficial for me that um, he, I, di I didn't train any bullshit. So the hours I trained, they were all filled with quality training sessions. And he really taught me how to train very polarized. So hit the hard sessions really hard and then enjoy the easy sessions and train them really easy. Right. Because before I met him, I think I always trained in between those two zones. So, you know, never easy, but also never really fast. So I think this is like a bug many athletes like to do like this in between, we call it like the gray zone. This is the zone, you know, where you, you feel good because you're moving fast, but you're not, you don't develop yourself, so you won't become any faster. And our main goal was that I need to become faster if I want to be competitive. So we worked a lot on speed and on technique because I had no good technique in any of the three disciplines. So um, I think this is something we spend a lot of time with and we focused more on those things than on training hours or volume. And I think that really worked out well. So by now I have a good technique in the swim. I'm still improving. Um, I think the swim is the diff most difficult part of all three disciplines because it's like the different element with the water. And then, you know, you need this special feeling for the water and you need to know when to grab it, push it and be gentle. And yeah. I, I just feel like it's so much harder than to make progress on biking or running. Right. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you get on with swimming? Uh, because it's something which you started pretty late. So, uh, what are a few of the things that you did that helped you, uh, you know, go faster, better? So first I um, just watched YouTube videos and went to the pool and tried to uh, swim 
like Michael Phelps, whom I watched. <laughs> but um, yeah, as soon as I met Philip and also got into contact with other triathletes, I uh, started to join um, a triathlon club and also started to swim with other people. And that helped a lot, you know, just to see other better swimmers uh, swim better and watch them get technical, um, get tips and uh, some uh, just some new stuff to to try out and um but then looking back i i regret that i did not start to work with a specific swim coach earlier so um i'll just started maybe like two years ago to really have someone else on pool deck who is a specialist for swimming who coaches me during the sessions whom i see very often you know he's filming me he's showing me what i actually do because yeah this is something i can really recommend everyone get yourself a buddy who can film you yeah. and look at what you're actually doing in the water. And this also, um, this is also a good advice for running. I think, you know, because I experienced that my body feeling for my body is very different from how it actually looks. <laughs> so, um, you know, to, to have this, um, see my videos, then go back into the water, try to adjust it. This really helped me. And um, I think to work on the technique is, yeah, very, very beneficial. And it's so important that you just don't, that you not only do like the swim drills, you know. Yeah. I think we tend to do like swim drills, like schooling and whatever we have. And also, you know, we call it in Germany, we call it um, running ABC. It's like for the running technique right, exercises. Right. I don't know if you, how you call it in India, if you do like skippings and stuff like this. I, so from my side, I feel like those are not very beneficial exercises. Um, I never do them for running, for example. In running, it's for me, it's more about the center of gravity. You need to work on that to have this sorted out and how your foot lands on the ground and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And for swimming, it's also more about your posture. You need to feel how your body is in the water and then you need to learn how to grab the water and how to use it, you know, to push yourself forward. And um, I experienced that, that I really needed a coach to work with and now i have found someone where i call you know we speak the same language because this, this is also super hard sometimes someone tells you how to adjust like a movement pattern and if you don't get the message right because he maybe uses word that mm. your mind doesn't understand this can go very wrong <laughs> in the wrong direction. So now I've found someone who speaks my language and that is so cool because I slowly really feel the progress. Um, but of course, you know, I will probably never swim in the first group. I need to be realistic, but if I can minimize my, um, you know, my, uh, the, the time I lose on the swim, this will give me so many more options for right. my race okay. technique, uh, tactics. So yeah, this is a big goal for, for, um, this year that I maybe improve a few minutes, for example, over the Ironman distance in the swim. And then, you know, usually I have to play catch up for the rest of the race 
play catch up on the bike, play catch up on the run. This is also fun if it works, you know, yeah. play catch up is fun. But um, if I have to catch up a few less minutes, um, I would also not mind. So, yeah, my biggest av advice is to um, find someone who works with you on your technique and um, films you and mirrors you what you actually do in the water. Right, right. Talking about catch up, I just, uh, you know, remember this is something which I do occasionally. Uh, <laughs> if there's a group ride or a club ride, I sometimes start a bit late so that I can do this hot pursuit kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, uh, good time, a uh, way to, um, you know, uh, mix up your training sessions, yes. playing catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Laura, can you give a glimpse to your daily life? How is a How is a day in your life or, and a week as well, uh, your training and what do you do when you don't train? So um, at the moment, I'm um, back home in Heidelberg in Germany. And when I'm, um, yeah, when I'm training ho back home, then um, I don't train too much volume. Um, this I often train when I'm um, on training camp. So at the moment we focus on speed sessions. Um, I'll do a lot of indoor training. So I have a nice um, setup back home with a treadmill, a turbo and um, some gym equipment. So I can do a lot of my training just uh, yeah, back in my home base. And uh, right now the weather is super nice um, in Germany. So it's a very early spring and I just started to ride outside again. And um, in Heidelberg, we have lovely mountains. So um, I enjoy to climb up the hills. This is something I really enjoy. And at the moment, I always switch between my um, time trial bike and my mountain bike. And you can imagine this is very different. So my time trial bike is super aero and the mountain bike is very un-aero, but um, I'll just use the mountain bike training to de develop more skills on the bike. You know, we have lovely trails and um, I'll just um, try to um, develop more skills. And I feel it's very beneficial also for riding on the streets. So... Right. This is uh, some sort of my training at the moment, track sessions on the run, treadmill, like I do a lot of hill reps. So all these short, intense stuff. And um, yeah, hopefully um, I will build a good base like this. Wonderful. So in a day, how many hours are you training? When I was doing the ski just a few weeks ago, um, when I went to Switzerland, I think I had one hour with 34 34 hours of training per week. That was a big week for me. So I call this a volume week. And when I went back home, I had an easy week that was around 17 hours. But usually I would say in average, it's uh, between 20 and 25 hours. And it gets more when I uh, get into a training camp or maybe if we have building up for an Ironman, then you, I have to do a few longer sessions, but yeah, at the moment I would say between 20 and 25. Wow. So the listeners who are listening right now are usually in <laughs> 10 to 15 hours range per week. 
not not little as well exactly and that is something that we feel oh my god we have done 15 hours but you are doing your 25 hours uh, yeah but then you know this is my job and i also exactly. remember the time when i was still working full time yeah i i don't think i trained more than 15 hours and i know how tough it is to combine both you know to work right. to have family to train for your sportive goals it is super tough and i would always recommend to not focus on training hours but focus on you know Recovery. the quality of your session right you don't need five hour rides you can also have like a one and a half hour or two hour ride with maybe some efforts in it and it will have um you know the same um right result at the end but you save some time <laughs> absolutely so how do you increase that quality in your training so, some tips that you might have applied in your past so um during winter we try um to train very polarized as i mentioned yeah. so i i try to include very short and fast intervals for example a good session that i really recommend for example are hill reps you can do them for the run and also for the bike if you have a hill right. um, or maybe stair reps if you have a long stair you can run up a stair for example and i would recommend to do things like 10 times 30 seconds you know 30 seconds on and then you walk back on the run or you have 30 seconds break on the bike just to really challenge those fast muscle fibers right, right, because right. those are the ones you know if we don't use them we lose them and um I experienced that doing those intense sessions is also super beneficial for my base work. Like my mm. endurance base gets better by doing those short, hard sessions. So this is something we um, focus on during winter. I do a lot of strength training in the gym. I hit the gym two to three times during winter and I do a lot of work, you know, for uh, to just to stay, to have a good, um, to stay healthy like to have a strong core have strong back muscles um to stay in my middle you know because triathlon is a sport that always uses the same muscle groups and you really need to work for example on the back side of your legs yeah. or your back you know you need to work on those antagonists and um, this is something i would really recommend people to do and then besides these um intense training do easy training sessions, you know, like go out for a two hour easy ride or an hour easy run or an easy swim. But yeah, just make sure that you really have different efforts in your training schedule. Um, yeah, I think this is something most people don't do. They always do kind of the same things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, um, yeah, to break those habits is very hard, but it can be very helpful if you uh, look out for a coach or a training program. For example, we just started our own training, like coaching company. Wow. It's called Kick-Ass Sports. <laughs> you know, Kick-Ass uh, is my own motivational slogan. So mm -hmm. we decided we need to pass this Kick-Ass feeling on to as many people as possible. And um, yeah, so for everyone who is interested in maybe also training our under our training program, you can check out kickassports.de. That's <laughs> and, amazing. Uh, 
Yeah, very soon we also ha will have um, like uh, English training planes available. So at the moment it's uh, mostly for German speaking athletes, Perfect. but we are growing and um, yeah, we would love to welcome many p uh, athletes from India as well. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll put the link in the description, fellows, cool. so Thank you can you. definitely check it out and look what Laura is training, how she is training. So <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, some guiding points that you would like to give to the folks who are looking at, uh, you know, going pro at some point of time, who are wanting to up their game in the world of triathlon. Yeah, so how um, can they approach it? So I can only tell you how it worked in Germany. I don't know how it is in other countries, but in Germany, um, you need to buy a pro license. That's the first step in order if you want to race in the pro category. So I bought this license and you need to renew it uh, yearly. So every year and with buying this license, you're also in the anti-doping test pool. So um, you'll get drug tested and um, yeah, for, um, with this, you are allowed to race in the pro category. This also gives you the opportunity to earn some prize money if you have success during these races. And yeah, I would also recommend, you know, first of all, I think you need to gain experience during races, get first results, and then you can use these results to maybe try to find some sponsors. Of course, pro the pro um, sport life would not work without sponsors. So finding strong partners that, uh, you know, uh, is super important and it would not work without them. So I'm very grateful that I have um, a strong base of partners behind me who back me up, especially, for example, during a year like last year or maybe even this year. We don't know how many uh, opportunities for racing we will have. They still um, supported me during this time. So that was something I'm super thankful for. But I also um, would uh, recommend everyone to look um, at what you can do or give back to those sponsors. You know, you need to create like a little profile around yourself or maybe uh, tell your story in a nice way. So you get the attention of people, media, and also sponsors, you know, right. I experienced that some people just think, you know, I'm the best and I need sponsors and why don't they want to sponsor me? And, you know, it's a business and you also need to kind of sell yourself in a good way. Right. So, um, and you need to sell some values. So you need to create your own, think about your own values, what you stand for, what you can, you know, you're maybe a message you want to spread out um, to others. What's your motivation in becoming pro, you know? So for me, it is I want to uh, motivate also other people um, to get into triathlon or to get into sport in general. And, um, you know, just uh, being a pro um, makes it so much easier to get access to people or maybe get, um, yeah, also access to media. So you could, it's so easier to reach many people. And then of course, I also very like the competitive side of uh, racing. So I'll just enjoy, um, to race against the best athletes in the world. 
And um, then, of course, it also feels super nice to earn money with what you really love to do with like it started as a as a hobby for me. And back then, I never imagined that I would one day be able to make all my living out of triathlon. So this is something that is super crazy for myself sometimes that it really worked out. Um, but yeah, I put a lot of work into this. So, you know, at the in our uh, times now we have so many great options you can have a great social media um, attendance for example where you can show um, what you do to the others motivate others inspire other people and um, yeah i think as soon as you start to find sponsors and try to build a financial base then you set yourself up maybe for the start of a great career and then it's about you know training smart staying healthy being very consistent over years and showing up at the important races and um yeah maybe that's the start of a great career then <laughs> that's amazing uh so laura sometime back you said that uh triathlon still uh is a very small space when it comes to the world of sports um not many races are happening uh, of course due to the current uh, situation but where do you think uh, uh, the world of triathlon heading what's the future that you see and what are your plans for that so i think we got a glimpse of how it could look like with the pto championship in daytona i think having race formats like this that are not as long as an Ironman, but are shorter, thus more spectacular, and maybe on a slightly more boring course, <laughs> but a course that is easier to film and, you know, to spread the TV right. coverage into the world. I think um, we have seen great coverage from this race and I think have a good TV production is super, super important to help the sport grow because I think triathlon is a great sport mm. and also a sport that inspires and motivates many people, not only triathletes, like many people, there's something attractive in this swim, bike, run sport, you know? Swim, bike, run are the, the three sport disciplines I feel like everyone has maybe experienced right. like yeah. something with one of them. So it's easy for like the, the community, not only of triathlon, but, but for everyone to have a sense of how it feels to do something like this. And then, yeah, I think we, we need to have uh, more chances of exciting races. You know, we need more meetups, like big races. So right. it's not working if we only have like a world championship race once yeah. a year yeah. where everyone meets and then we have like this big event. But I feel like we need more like a race series where yeah. every race is exciting and you have the coverage of every race and um then maybe you have the grand final like they do on the short course right. uh, distance. I think this is maybe something that would help the sport grow. And, but then on the other side, I said, we need shorter formats, but then on the other side, I feel like Ironman also attracts people because it is so long and so cruel and you right. see all these 
pictures of people crawling or suffering you know this is also an aspect that people enjoy to watch when they're sitting on their couch <laughs> so those are the images that you get from Ironman racing you know but so yeah I'm not quite sure what's the best distance for this but I feel like we definitely need a better tv coverage and um, yeah but then we also need strong pro athletes you know at the headliners who tell their stories who are the um you know the to give an image like or a picture to the sport uh, that people remind oh yeah that's triathlon maybe yeah Jan Frodeno is someone you know who is yeah. already doing great work for triathlon um with looking good having great results and um just um doing a great job so, yeah, I think um, all the other pros, we can um, try to also, um, you know, do similar things that are in our cap cap capabilities. And um, so, yeah, just um, maybe even though if more people in India yes. will join the community of triathlon, help it grow. And I think if like in every country around the world, you know, we motivate more people to try it we will have a big, big, big community and this will help the sport grow. And at some point we will maybe get, be one of the biggest sports. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really rooting for it. And India, as we speak, it's, uh, it's still a very young country when you talk about uh, triathlon, but it's growing at a rapid pace and uh, the numbers are increasing every single day who are curious about the sport and uh, wanting to be a part of it so yeah that is there okay so we are in the last segment of our episode and it's called sprint to finish where you have to quickly tell me what are your favorites or whatever it is that the question that i ask you have to quickly sprint to the finish line and uh, the first question is what's your most memorable race so it's definitely my first ironman ironman barcelona 2018 wonderful one reason why it is the most memorable so why is it so because um before this ironman i never rode longer than 150k mm -hmm. so it was the first time that i rode 180k oh. and it was also the first time before this race i had no run longer than 30k so it was also the first time in my life that I ran longer than 30K. And I was so afraid of the 30K mark in the race. I still remember that I expected to blow up after 30K. Wow. And to experience, you know, that it did not, that it did not blow up and um, I finished strong. Um, that was such a... I break such a big barrier, you know, a mental barrier in my head. And from that moment on, I felt like, okay, I can achieve anything if I want to. Um, <laughs> so that was just, a, I think, a life-changing experience. That's amazing. Your favorite race format? 70.3. <laughs> so middle cool. distance racing. Yeah. Right. Which was your most frustrating moment? So that was 2019. I raced a middle distance in Germany and in that race, actually my bone broke. The bone I talked about um, that kept me from having a good preparation for Hawaii. So that was one of the first races where I actually had to stop in a race 
and was not able to finish. And I told you before that there's always something magical for me when I'm in a race and I want to reach the finish line and uh, to have on one side these very, very bad pain. And then on the other, I was in the lead of the race, not be able to win it and to finish that was so, so tough. And um, yeah, hopefully I will never experience something like this again. Right. Your go-to snack uh, during the run or ride? In training? Yeah. In so training I, and in race, if you care, what, whatever <laughs> you carry. So in training, um, I always um, have a super nice drink with me. It's called Slow Carb. It's from a company, Ministry of Nutrition. So it's a super yummy um drink um, that keeps the blood sugar levels low but still fuels, fuels you uh, in a very good way so I always have that in a bottle and then I always take a bar with me because I'm also a snack person like I don't like to in a race I only use liquids but in training I also like to chew especially on the bike on the run it's something else it's harder to chew so i always have like some uh, super nice oatmeal bars with me with yeah. some protein inside so um yeah i think most of the times after an hour it's time for a snack right, right. <laughs> in training you're also a vegetarian so there's a myth there's a big myth that uh, you can't perform well if you are a veggie so how has it been for you? Uh, some experiences of about you that you would like to share, some nutrition tips that you would like to give because there are a lot who are vegetarian, especially in India, and who want uh, who have been fed in the minds that uh, it is necessary to take your dose of protein through animal sources. So, would you like to give some tips on that? Yes, sure. So first of all, I love this fact about India that there are so many vegetarian people. This is and also the many food options you have, yes. the vegetarians. This is something I would love to experience myself. I think I would eat the whole day, eat myself through all the curries and dals and <laughs> stuff. Uh, I love that. So um, yeah, from my side, I am a vegetarian and uh, I'm very close to living a vegan life as well so um i uh, i actually do this since i'm three years old so my parents offered everything to me but in a very young age i kind of refused to eat it i didn't like it and when i grew up um i also got into you know like close relationships to animals and um i i got you know how that's we eat the animals that I see outside are actually also the animals that are on the plate. You know, sometimes people try not to think of this, mm -hmm. but for me, this connection was quite strong and I'll just, uh, you know, thought I want to have them happy and healthy and alive and not on my plate. Yeah. So I feel like I have the perfect diet for um, being a strong athlete, I don't miss anything. I know that it is harder to get to a big amount of protein with plant-based meals, but it is possible and it's not a problem at all. Um, so I'm the living example for this. And I know many other athletes that are living vegetarian or vegan lifestyle and that have 
also said they have big uh, benefits from do, living this lifestyle, you know, because nowadays um, most of the animals, they are fed with a lot of medications yeah. and bad stuff. And you have to imagine, you know, this is then the stuff that you eat when you eat the, um, right. the meat. So I'll just uh, think it's healthier for everyone to eat plant-based. And if you eat dairy or meat, you know, make sure that it's organic and it's a good quality. This is so important because I do think, you know, you are what you eat. There's yes. this saying. And um, so make sure you have you, you have simply like high quality products for everything that you eat. If you can afford it, I'll spend most of my money for food and This is my belief, you know, I feel better if I have um, good quality of food and uh, there are so many great vegetarian options for protein. If you think of all, you know, the you can eat nuts, you can eat all the chickpeas and lentils and stuff like this. And uh, you just need to find good combinations of uh, nutrients. If you combine chickpeas with lentils and you have rice and you have veggies, then you have a great meal. You know, and you don't, there's no need to supplement anything. And um, yeah, so if you eat meat every day at the moment, I would really, you know, challenge you, try to maybe have one vegan or vegetarian day per week. And if you like it, then increase it and just try it. You know, you don't need meat for performance. That's for sure. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Before we come back to our sprint to finish, there's just one more question I would like to add. Um, through your YouTube channel, you have been promoting a lot about women's health. Uh, would you like to uh, share something on our podcast as well? Yes, sure. So this is also a very important topic, in my opinion, because I think in our community, it's often, uh, you know, the approach that women are just small men. And, um, you know, if, for example, on the training side, we are just treated like men. So we get the tra same training plans or like there, no, not many people really make uh, a difference between women needs and male needs. So I feel like it's time to speak about the differences mm -hmm. and to point that out um, because in Germany, um, I feel like it's still some sort of a taboo theme, you know, not many people um, like to speak about things like that women have a menstrual cycle, for example, yeah. and yeah. especially yeah. during this um, uh, range, you know, in your life where you have a cycle, um, you need to train different than a man because you have these hormonal fluctuations right. during your month, during a month. And um, this can have a big impact on how you can perform, what nutritional needs you have. So um, it's really important that you, um, you know, listen to your body and adjust your training to, right. for example, your hormones and your menstrual cycle. And then not only for um, women during this uh, age, but also for female, you know, who are in menopause, for example, they also have different needs than men. 
And um, yeah, I would really uh, recommend everyone to check out my videos. I um, also added English subtitles to them. So hopefully everyone can take something out of it. Um, and yeah, I one um, big message that I want to spread is to encourage women to, um, you know, be proud of their body. And actually that having a period, for example, and having a healthy menstrual cycle is something we need to be proud of. It can give a superpower. You know, if this is working yeah. for you, you can really get strength out of it. And um, yeah, at the end, kick ass. But <laughs> <laughs> you can find my slogan again. So um, yeah, this is uh, something hopefully we can change in the future that women are not afraid to talk about it anymore. And it's also not weird for men to talk about it. I also get so many nice messages by men who say it was also so beneficial for them to watch the videos, for example, and it helps them so much that I am very, you know, open about it. And um, that makes it easier to kind of break the barrier to talk about it. And um, yeah, I'm super happy about all the, um, you know, feedback I receive. Um, and hopefully we will have more um, conversations like this in the future. And Definitely. yeah, I think, you know, this is um, a topic you could do a whole podcast about. Because I would love to have you again on this. Yeah, <laughs> it is nice. Yeah, we can do that. It's uh, something I am very passionate about because, you know, I experienced myself how much right. power yeah. there is in there and also how much damage you can do if you work against your body. So yeah, super interesting topic. I try to put as much information as possible inside of my videos. And for example, also at Kick-Ass Sports, at our coaching company, we also created um, a coaching program just for women, where we help women to train with their cycle or <clears throat> when they already hit menopause, you know, how to focus on those sessions that you need. Um, so yeah, this is also super exciting to have the first clients to work with and to help them achieve their goals with their, with working with their female physio physiologic physiology. <laughs> so yeah. Um, on the sport side, it's just a little easier to train men, but um, we can be as strong as men if we work with our bodies. Amazing. Uh, all right. Coming back to uh, the sprint to finish. Uh, we just took a <laughs> short detour. Uh, all right. This this, this is just one of the last question which is remaining. What inspires to wake up every day and hit the road? And why do you hit the road? So I think it's um, just uh, something deep inside of myself that I am very passionate about just going out there, moving. I enjoy um, sports a lot and I also love to go out in nature. I always feel better when I do it. And um, yeah, then it just feels great to put get the hard work done and achieve goals. And I think having goals is uh, one of the main driver that drives me things that drives me and um, helps me to keep going if I have a tough day. So, right. yeah. That's cool. Laura, Philip, thank you so much for taking out your precious time from the training and uh, 
being a part of uh, hit the road and sharing your experiences with india and i'm sure you would love to be back once again i would love to have you once again to chat up more till then any last words that you would like to give i just want to thank everyone who made it this far in this episode listening to us thanks so much i wish you all a wonderful day thanks so much for your time it was a pleasure a pleasure to meet you and to chat to you and um yeah have a great day everyone great all right listeners that's it for this episode if you have enjoyed uh do share in your comments uh, i'll be ha- i'll be linking in the description all the all the mentions that laura has done about her youtube channel and also some of the uh, specific uh, links regarding exercises which we would be tagging in uh, you know the drill make sure you subscribe comment and share it with your friends so that you can inspire other people as well to be a part of this community i'm rohan thakkar this is laura philip with me signing off